0: Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring.
1: Well, hey, friends. Thanks for joining us for this next episode of There's No Business Like. I'm Kevin Maynard. I'm the executive director of Quad City Arts. Uh, I am joined here today with Josh.
2: Josh Benson with the Marion Cultural and Civic Center.
3: Danielle.
0: Hey, Danielle Van Hook with the Alden.
1: Brian.
3: Hello, everybody. It's Brian Zelmer from Kutztown University. And Katie.
4: Hi, everyone. Katie Miller with the Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan.
1: So before we jump into the interview I had with Tommy Hensel, I'm very curious. Um, what other affiliations do you all have in our industry? Because what I'm learning from all this is that nobody just does one thing. Um, so for instance, obviously, I'm the executive director of Quad City Arts, but I'm also on the Illinois Presenter's Network board and then, you know, do some grant panels for the Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Iowa Arts Council Agency. I'm on local arts commissions here in the Quad Cities and, you know, that list goes on and on. So I'm curious Um, what all do you do as well?
2: So in addition to my role here at the Marion Cultural and Civic Center, I'm also a mural artist, kind of headed up a Marion Murals program, which can be found on Instagram and on Facebook through hashtag Marion Murals, M-A-R-I-O-N.
3: Check that out, everyone.
2: Um, And we've put up 26 murals over the last two years. Um, I personally have painted on about 13 of those, Um, and I'm continually painting murals and giving back to our community through... A physical art form.
4: So in addition to my work uh, with community engagement at the Midland Center for the Arts, one of my longstanding industry affiliations has been serving as president of the Michigan Presenters Network, which is a statewide consortium of presenters, agents, and artists. So I've served as president, uh, past president, off the board. It's been a a great part of my career and something I, I really love doing.
3: I serve on a lot of different consortiums and things, but right now, uh, Pennsylvania presenters, I am also a president of a state consortium. And so it's been really rewarding, but also pretty challenging during these times of of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, so I've actually been working with a small group called the Pocahontas Project. And it's something that grew out of a program that we did um, last year to sort of build a bridge between understanding cultural knowledge and the seeing a performance and making those connections. And so what we've been working on doing is getting a presidential proclamation to name Pocahontas the Mother of America and to celebrate March 21st um, in her honor and to honor all of the current tribes who are living um, within the U.S.
1: Wow. That is truly incredible. And actually, honestly, all of you, I'm just impressed to, you know, how busy we all stay outside of our day jobs. Uh, today's guest is Tommy Hensel, who you will quickly learn is also one of the busiest folks I know in the industry.
5: And I'm excited for you guys to hear that interview today. My name is Tommy Hensel, and I am currently the senior director of performing arts at Elgin Community College, which is in a northwest suburb of Chicago. I'm also the chair of the Illinois Presenters Network, which is the consortium of presenters in the state of Illinois. And currently, uh, I'm the president of the board of Heartland Performing Arts, which is going to be producing a new expo next year.
1: Excellent. So, Tommy, obviously, you're very involved in the industry. So how did you get
5: started uh, down this path? (laughs) Totally by accident. I think that's how many of us got here. So my background primarily, I have an undergraduate degree in voice performance and a master's degree in theater. So my trajectory in my early career was as an actor, singer, director primarily. And I was specializing in directing Shakespeare because my um, my master's degree focused on dramaturgy and I worked at the Shakespeare Theater in Washington, D.C. So early on in my career, I, that's where I assumed That I was going to go and I eventually ended up running a theater company in New Hampshire. Uh, When they hired me, it was primarily a producing theater company. So they did four major performances a year and they rented the facility. But they came to me and said, hey, you know, since we have all this downtime, why don't you start presenting some performances to fill in the gaps? And I said, sure, I can do that. I had no clue what presenting was. I just totally lied in my job interview. I'm saying this on the air now. <laughs> um, so I I said, sure, I can do that. And I you know, sort of asked around the industry people that I knew, and they said, okay, you should be going to one of these booking conferences. So my very first conference was a PAE conference on the East Coast. And I went there not having a clue what I was doing. And luckily, I was befriended by some wonderful agents, um, many of whom are still my friends here in the industry who kind of took me by the hand and said, Hey, this is how you do this. And what was great is that it was the four that I would sort of identify as my first four that became my good friends were Larry Cosson, Tony Klein, Jerry Ross, and Liz Silverstein. And all of them were so no pressure. They were like teaching me how to do this, but they weren't trying to force me to buy anything from them. So it was, I was really lucky to make friends with these sort of no pressure people who understood about cultivating relationships and so uh, that was kind of how I ended up in presenting and I moved from New Hampshire to the Chicago area in 2008 to take on uh, the job at moraine Valley Community College and I was there for 14 years wow. and I just left in February to take this new job at Elgin
1: excellent I think that's you've touched on one of the things that I love about our industry is that You know, there are a lot of people who are just willing to impart that knowledge, Um, Mm -hmm. not, you know, it doesn't have to be a transactional relationship. They want they want the industry to do well. So at that point, um, what sort of information did they did they impart on you? Like, what was the biggest takeaways that you had from from that early on
5: experience? Well, what was really good is that all of them had worked with my predecessor at that theater company who had done some booking before so they at least knew the venue. Um, and one of the things that they really taught me was sort of how to navigate a conference. That was really the first piece is, you know, some I know some people in the industry, their very first conference is APAP, which is would be an insane first experience for us. Luckily, PAE was much smaller. And they really sort of took me by the hand and said, OK, here's the deal. This is what you need to be looking for in a good agent. And and they were really upfront about you know, the pros and cons of different kinds of styles of how agents interact with presenters. And they also then introduced me to other presenters in the region uh, who they felt like would be helpful to me. And from that, I actually joined um, what was called APNI, the Arts um, Presenters of Northern New England, which is the consortium in Northern New England. And that was extremely helpful. And it was really personal connections that the agents gave me that that got me there. So I feel like the it's the people who already do it, who've been here for a while, are, are really welcome to mentoring new people. It's like everybody wants everybody to succeed, which I think is unusual in our industry. You know, other industries aren't like this.
1: Yeah, well, and I think the the nice thing about that is, you know, agents and presenters on both sides of that see that like if we can strengthen both sides of that, it just makes things better across the board, and it helps their artists, it helps their agency, it obviously helps you because. If your venue goes out, uh, you know, they can't present anything in there. Yeah, I was actually
5: just having this conversation with an agent about um, someone who was a presenter that had really ultimately destroyed an organization through bad fiscal management and bad management in general. And, you know, she was talking to me about how frustrating that is in the industry, because now. There's no market for these artists to go there until this venue can rebuild itself, and so I think it's important that we all kind of know who's doing what and who's good at what, so that you know we can watch out for each other.
1: Yeah. So at the beginning of this conversation, Tommy, you mentioned that you know you are obviously like highly involved in, in many different uh, <laughs> or organizations Cause related to no. <laughs> I can't say no. So that was part of my question, yeah. uh, but. Um, like, how, how did you start getting involved in those and, and why?
5: You know, I came um, into the industry from a, a long history of working in nonprofit organizations, generally as an employee, but I also had been on many nonprofit boards. And in early parts of my career, I actually incorporated two different nonprofit organizations. So I had been through that whole creative an organization from the ground up. So for me... Um, You know, being in that nonprofit sector, you you sort of get into the habit of doing everything yourself and you understand the whole model of working with committees and working with groups of people. So, you know, when I got into the industry and I looked at some of the trade organizations, I felt like, you know what, I've got a skill set from having done this for so many years that makes me uniquely suited to be able to help these organizations thrive. You know, because I, you know, I enjoy uh, knowing that what we're doing is actually improving something, you know, and Mm -hmm. making something better. And uh, one of the things I've always been good at is I'm great at starting things and I'm excellent at fixing things that aren't working. Where I don't have any joy is when it becomes maintenance, when you're repeating the same things over and over. Once I get to maintenance, I know that I must find something new to do and I think one of the reasons i belong to so many organizations is because of that I feel like i need that new uh, that new thing that new excitement that new that new um thing to grab onto you know to help me feel more engaged
1: yeah i i really relate to that um because i i, I feel the same way as like I, I think it's it's the challenge of it mm-hmm. like you want to come in you want to see something do better you want to fix it but then once it's kind of business as usual you're like I'm I'm good like it's time for me to move on somebody else can take this to the to the the next level which
5: is honestly why I moved from a 14 year job to a brand new job you know I could have easily stayed at Moraine Valley for more of my career but I felt like I had just reached this point where I'd done all I could do Mm -hmm. and it's running well and it's got a great staff so I needed a new challenge yeah it was time
1: yeah so right now, I mean, obviously, like we're, we're coming out of, you know, a, a couple of interesting years, um, challenging years. And so with that has, you know, obviously, like there was, you know, the performing arts has hit really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's a lot of other challenges that our, our industry is facing as well. So in in your mind, um, what I, what are some of those challenges or what is maybe the biggest
5: challenge that our industry is facing? There's so many <laughs> um, that I don't know what the biggest one is, but I can tell you some of them that are so clear to me now that we're sort of moving out of it Mm -hmm. first of all is audiences i'm sure in some parts of the country this is not true but i can tell you where i am audiences are really slow to come back they they're being very conservative and very tentative and they're not buying tickets in advance and so that piece is nerve-wracking for all of us who are tracking box office sales trying to figure out how do you entice these people to stop sitting on their couch streaming movies and to actually get dressed and go out and experience live performance because they lost the habit of live performance. So that's a challenge. The other one is there was so much migration in our industry during the pandemic of people like me, I changed jobs, but people changing jobs, people leaving the industry. And the biggest segment that I found that was hit hard uh, was in the technical theater zone. We're having a hugely difficult time finding technicians to work backstage. many of them stayed in the field but found other jobs in other industries using those skills and don't need to come back because they're making better money working in the corporate sector than they did in the theater sector so that's a big challenge for us staffing uh, both front of house and back of house do you have any ideas of how to address that issue honestly for and i work at a college so it's tremendously frustrating because you can't just decide you're going to pay somebody more money uh, because it's all regulated through union negotiations and levels of pay., uh, but it's gonna take better money. It's gonna take paying people closer to what they're worth instead of expecting them to work for less money than they could make working at a fast food restaurant. And that's just that's just the truth. You know, our starting rate of pay for backstage technicians is too low. And I wouldn't take it if I were, Looking for a job because there are other venues in our area uh, near where I am that pay better. Mm. So they're going to go for the the venue that's paying them five dollars more than we can pay them, of course. Yeah. So part of it is that, you know, those of us who are stuck in institutions that are very entrenched in process and procedure and you can't change things easily are facing a real uphill struggle to try to convince the powers that be at our institution that they need to really relook at their their pay scales
1: yeah that's a challenging thing because that well as as you know it starts trickling down into the financials of the ticket prices and yeah. all those other things and then affects your audience as well which yeah. is uh yeah that's a that that's a challenge it just like continues to compound itself yeah
5: and it's funny because w- when they tell you you need to make money you say well great but i can't make money unless i can book certain things and charge a certain amount of money but i can't do this many shows because i don't have enough staff Mm. to do 12 shows i can only do eight and they're they're like you can't make money on eight And i'm like i know (laughs) so help Uh, you know it's it's a very frustrating circular argument so i think that's a big struggle for many of us in the industry so i would say staffing as i just said and then just the audience um attitude towards coming back to live theater. Yeah,
1: I think one of the challenges with the audiences coming back is is that last minute ticket buying. I mm-hmm. mean, because we've all spent two years, uh, you know, at home and being able to stream things instantly and having sort of that instant gratification and really deciding, being able to decide at a moment's notice um, when we want to consume something. Um, and so I think that that is, you know,
5: just another challenge that we're, we're competing against with bringing our audiences back. Yeah, and honestly, I, I've read so many reports and I, you know, it, at a certain point you just have to stop reading. There is no solution that I can think of right now, really, because we can't suddenly change societal attitude overnight. I was talking to somebody yesterday who suggested that that. You know, One of the larger arts organizations, like service organizations like APAP or Americans for the Arts or somebody should try to find some funding to hire a PR firm, like a real high end PR firm to do a national campaign with celebrities to entice people to come back to live performance. You know, like the remember the Got Milk campaign, Yeah. like to duplicate that for the arts, like, you know, to, to entice people to get off their couch and come out and see a live show. And I just wished that somebody would run with that idea. Yeah, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I would. I thought that was awesome.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that happen. Yep. Um, so, Tommy, one of your connections you mentioned at the beginning is that you are part of the board who is bringing, bringing back or starting a a conference. Now, two things on that. One, I'm curious. Um, so, you've you've decided to, that it's the Midwest Arts Expo. Yes. Was that a purposeful choice to remove the word conference, or yes. is that excellent? So. Why
5: is that? We feel, uh, and this this was from a group of about 25 people that convened and really started brainstorming this together. And it was a combination of agents, managers, artists, and presenters, so all segments of the industry, that what we really need uh, is a conference that was more focused on business. And our idea was that look at other industries and how they do trade shows and how those structured and we went back and forth and thought you know what what we need to do is rebrand the concept of coming to this type of convening and the word expo felt more like what we were looking for that you know yes there will be professional development but it will be focused on the business of doing business because other organizations like apap americans for the arts arts midwest um, you know all of them are doing a fantastic job of creating professional development about the higher level, more thematic things that we need to be talking about in the industry. Uh, Very few people are really focusing in on the nuts and bolts of doing business. So that was really from the very beginning that was on the table as one of the primary focuses. And we felt like the word expo captured that energy better than the word conference.
1: Is there anything, I mean, that you can share that, um, that you will
5: be removing or adding to, you know, sort of drive home that that business. Actually, we're keeping many of the traditional pieces mm-hmm. of the model. We're just trying to figure out the best mix. Uh, what we did is when we surveyed the field, both agents and artists and also presenters especially, we found out that there was a common theme that we were getting from every part of the country that was sending us survey results is that the most important thing for everybody like higher than anything else by far was networking and connecting in a business sense so both social networking and sitting down and having a business conversation that was far and away the biggest winner on the questionnaire the next thing down which was also high on the list was showcases people really wanted to just be able to see more art um, and more genres of art. And then below that was professional development. So that was on the list, but it was really third. uh, And it it was a far third. So those of us who work in higher education know that you have to have professional development at a conference or expo many times in order to get funded to attend. So we can't eliminate it, but we can reduce the footprint of the pd and focus it more on things that are more broadly important to the industry so you're not having 12 things happening at once you're having two and people can choose so we're pulling back on pd so that that gives us more time for showcasing and uh exhibit hall
1: hours that's really great to hear because i think you know most of these uh these conferences the most important thing is is that relationship building is that networking so it's nice to hear that the expo is going to allow for more of that. So
5: I think that that's great. And although I I can't tell you what the final model is going to look like, because I think it's still in flux. One of the things that we purposefully decided is to eliminate the majority of of like group meals uh, to let people be on their own for finding places to eat so that they can use that time as individual networking time for meetings that sort of thing and not feel the obligation to come sit in a room and have a meal with everybody else too many times not that that's a horrible thing but i feel like first of all it's expensive and we're trying to be a leaner conference as far as or expo as, as far as how the money is spent but we also felt like that's that provides more downtime for people to actually have one-on-one meetings if they're not competing with other kinds of events.
1: Yeah, I think that that's smart. I mean, there are a lot of agents who who like to plan those those lunch meetings to be able to have a deeper conversation and, you know, build
5: that relationship and yep. get to know people. So um I think that's just smart business. So. Yeah, And part of it was totally driven by money. I mean, we looked at uh, Arts Midwest was forthcoming by sharing their budget with with a small group of us so that we could actually see where the money was spent and those conference Uh, Lunch events were huge drains on the resources because even with a sponsorship, the sponsorship covered essentially the tech work to get the performance to happen but didn't touch the food costs. So that's a massive savings of money. Yeah.
1: Wow. So, with with Max coming online next year, um, what is the best way for people to stay involved, get involved, learn more, to be able to keep up up to date on those kind of things? I would
5: say go to the website because they can actually get the, whatever information we're you know we we currently have is on the website. But there's also a form to sign up to be on the email list, so you will get updates and also links to our social media from the website. So it's Midwest Arts expo with the letter xpo so we've removed the letter e from expo so midwestartsexpo.org yep if they actually misspell it and put an e in there it will auto direct because we bought that domain as well because we thought yeah that's going to happen so. yep definitely
1: so kind of taking a step back so as uh, sure. you know maybe a little bit back in time um you just starting out in in the industry um you know, Going to conferences, starting to present. Uh, if you could go back and talk to yourself today, like what is the biggest piece of advice? What would you tell yourself?
5: Early in my career, when I first started presenting, i I didn't really understand how many choices I actually had. So I did allow people to talk me into things sometimes that were not the best choice for my venue Um, and sometimes you have to learn by making these mistakes but if I could go back in time I would really tell my younger self look um, never assume that anything is absolutely vital to be on your stage that there are always choices and if you get a bad feeling about something or your gut says this isn't going to sell you're probably right yeah, I I've, I've been wrong sometimes, but generally if my gut feeling is don't do it and I go ahead and do it anyway, I will regret it. Mm, that's great advice. Yeah. Um
1: similarly, um, what piece of advice would you give to somebody just starting out in this
5: industry? Well, first of it is uh, don't get overwhelmed. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you come to a, an expo or a conference, particularly if it's APAP, which as we all know is huge, um it feels bigger than you can handle. Um, And so one of the things I try to tell people when they're very new in the industry and haven't been to a lot of these is like, just be kind to yourself, pace yourself. Don't feel like you have to do everything and experience everything. There are too many professional development opportunities. You can't go to them all. You can't go to every meeting. You cannot sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with every agent in an expo hall, because there's too many of them and there's one of you. Um, so I think people get overwhelmed by the just too many choices. You know, it's decision fatigue uh, after a while. And I think you just have to be really kind to yourself. And I was saying earlier, you know, last night I saw some showcases, but I reached a point where I hit a wall and I was like, I I must go to bed. I'm gonna miss some showcases that I would like to see, but if I don't take care of me, I will be useless tomorrow and won't be able to make it. So you, sometimes you just have to understand that the pressure is coming from inside your own head. Mm. There's nobody out there cracking the whip saying that you have to do all of this. Excellent. I love that. And then that kind of transitions to, to my, my next question perfectly.
1: Um, in this industry, and I think with a lot of industries, especially nonprofits, um, people get burnt out. Mm-hmm. And like burnout is a real thing that, that happens and it forces people to just move on. Um, so people do need to take that moment to relax, uh, refresh, you know, um, have some sort of outlet outside of that. So for you, how is it that, that you, um, combat burnout and, and take care of yourself?
5: Sometimes I don't yes. <laughs> Sometimes I just burn out. Yeah. I was telling my supervisor the other day, she says, how are you feeling today? Cause I'd had a big issue with something. And I said, well, you know, I was on fire and I put myself out finally, but I think I'm smoldering still. Um, For me, I I have a long history starting in the early 80s of meditation. So, you know, I've been a meditator for 40 years. Um, That's been tremendously helpful to me because the ability to be able to quiet your mind and get into a space where you can just let it all go and focus, I think, is tremendous. However, you can do that. And some people do it through exercise and some people do it through, like, formal meditation like i do some people can just go take a walk and it will happen but i think you need to find that outlet that's about quieting external noise and and learning how to quiet your own mind so i think it's important for people to have uh, this is just me to have those solitary things that's just you with yourself Uh, because i think so many people don't give themselves space to do that. They feel like they always have to be engaged with other people. And particularly if they're in a relationship with someone or married to someone or have kids, they feel like they can't ever be by themselves that somehow it's selfish and it, it it's selfish in the good way. It's taking care of self so that you can then choose to take care of others if you want to. And I think that people need to stop and say, okay, wh- where is my solitary moment? Where am I alone in my own head in a good way and how can i find that so i think that's what really helps me Um, you know and i think sometimes i'm not saying people have to go through horrible experiences in their life but when you do go through difficult periods of time or difficult experience or or, you know the death of someone close to you it it really does start to reframe your sense of what's important and you really learn you know life's too short to, to stress about some of these things that are utterly out of your control It was like covid you know people were like getting all freaked out and i'm like i'm i'm kind of freaked out but there's no point in me giving emotional energy to the fact that it exists because i can't make it go away you know you have to learn how to navigate through stuff like that yeah
1: i do think that that's one of the the positive things that have that came out of the pandemic is people sort of realizing having the that epiphany that life is short and we need to take time for ourselves
5: yeah absolutely excellent Well,
1: Tommy, thank you so much for coming here and having this conversation with us. I I really appreciate you joining us today. Oh,
5: thank you so much for asking me. I had a great time. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more of these great podcasts. Well, welcome back to the gang. Uh,
1: Thanks for listening to the interview that I had with Tommy Hensel. Uh, Anything that really stuck out to all of you?
4: Well, Kevin, I think it's so exciting uh, to hear about the work happening with MAX, Midwest Arts Expo, this new conference that is being developed. For to kind of service the Midwest part of our industry. Really loved hearing the details, how that all came together, um, the considerations that they're putting into developing this new conference. So really, I loved hearing how they surveyed people from across the industry, took all of that feedback into consideration when thinking about how they're going to structure it, how to make it more equitable, what are the parts that we really need more of, and maybe some that we need less of, or maybe uh, just a different focus on. I really appreciated hearing kind of the backstory to how that's all coming together.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was a really kind of a smart thing that they're taking a look at what what other trade shows and other expos are doing, and taking a look at not just kind of moving our industry and just focusing on what we're doing, but really looking at us honestly as more of a a business. I mean, because as we all know, like we are a business. Uh, so I, I really think that that's a a smart tactic for them to take.
3: Yeah, I think it's really smart, too, to get rid of a lot of the luncheons and things that um, cost, cost them a lot of money, but it also you know, eats up a lot of time that we could be networking and doing other business.
1: Yeah, and, and people are scheduling meetings over top of those anyways. I mean, if you had an option to, to meet with some colleagues and really focus on a project that you're working on during that time, odds are you're going to take that. So just cutting that cost is, is
3: huge. Also, uh, I loved his advice for doing conferences as far as, you know, taking care of yourself, too, to be kind to yourself. I thought that was really smart, because there is such this pressure when you go to a conference. And and I have, (laughs) I was one of those people that APAP was my first conference, and it was a whirlwind. And, uh, and it just APAP never stops. And so You have to learn how to take care of yourself.
1: Do you guys have any advice for first-time conference goers? Because I will tell you, when I was first on my own and went to a conference, I packed my schedule. And I will say I packed it with a lot of work and very little fun. So, but do you have any advice for people who are, it's their first time going to one?
4: I would say make it really clear to your colleagues back home that what you're doing at conference is super important and you will not have time to check your email or put out fires um, while you're gone because your day really is um, structured by the conference, right? In terms of when booths are open, when you're doing PD, when you have time for meetings, showcases. And there is it really, truly, there's very little time for you to be checking email or managing things back at your home venue um, or your agency or wherever. So really making clear to your colleagues, I'm going, I'm off grid for four days, see you then (laughs) when I get back. Um, I think it's really helpful for setting expectations.
2: From like my approach is, I want my meetings whenever I'm there to be meaningful and to not just be about somebody's roster. And so I I always do my homework before every meeting. I know what on their roster I'm interested in. And I, I tell them that at the start, You know, you sit down for a meeting and hey, I've taken a look at your roster. This is what I think fits with us. Is there anything else I should be looking at in addition to these things? And that allows you to have much more meaningful and focused conversation rather than spending the entire time of your meeting just, you know, reviewing the roster itself. In addition, hydrate. Drink water the entire time. That is the one of the most important things that I can say is a simple thing to take care of yourself is always have a bottle of water or a cup in your hand and always be drinking.
0: I think that showcases are really important at conferences. You get a chance to see an artist do their best 15, but at the same time, you don't get to see the full show and it can be kind of frustrating. So two things that I like to do in showcases is one, see it with a colleague that I trust and get their just knee-jerk reaction afterwards. And two, I watch the audience. Um, I love it whenever it showcases that are in a theater with paid ticket buyers to be able to see what that audience's reaction is. But I'll watch the reaction of my of my colleagues to see, you know, what parts are getting laughs. Is it just is it just good to me? How are other people kind of seeing it? And sometimes watching the reactions tells me yeah, what I need to know more than watching the show.
3: So I, I've been a mentor now for several years at the APAP conference, and I get a lot of the same questions from the new people. And it's always about the approach, like how many meetings you should do and about show, you know whether you should do showcases or not and all this other stuff. And basically what I've learned over the years is – No two people can approach APAP the same way. You have to find out what works for you. Make sure you leave room for flexibility in there because some of the magic of these conferences is the things you accidentally stumble into. Whether it's a group of people that you're introduced to and you get to hang out with them and get to know them better and it leads to some kind of great business down the road or it might be a showcase. Like I always, when I'm showcasing, especially at the the conference hotel, if they're happening in multiple places within the hotel, I make a point to pick out the ones that I need to see and put that in my schedule. But then I purposely leave blanks to walk around and wander and just wander into a, a, a showcase. And I've actually come across shows. Maybe I didn't book them that season, but I've, I've come across shows because of that.
1: Yeah, Brian, that's smart. And it's also, I mean, that's good advice that that there's no like, I don't know, the same approach doesn't work for two people and that our, our approaches have all changed over time, depending on where we are or what we're doing um, my one piece of advice that has never changed is always pack a tied-to-go pen, um, but that's because I eat like a child and I always get something on myself.
4: So. <laughs> and good shoes. Consider your footwear too. Oh yeah, you're on yes. your feet a lot more than you yes. think you're going to be. Yeah.
2: Stylish shoes first two days, comfortable shoes the rest of the time. And right.
4: a packable <laughs> jacket. I like that strategy. Yes.
1: And the only other thing that I really want to touch on in, in Tommy's interview that I think is probably one of the the most crucial things that I wish I would have known. Um, starting out was that comment and that advice of trusting your instincts um, that you know you don't have to say yes because you're feeling pressured into it that there are a lot of other options out there and like Tommy I have examples in my career of times that I sort of for whatever reason felt pressured to say yes on something and I did 100% and it didn't work out yeah and so I've, I've learned that sometimes, you know, it might feel uncomfortable to say to have to say no or to kind of, you know, pull pull back on that. But no
3: is the second best word. That's what they always say, because they'd rather get a no than be strung along. And yeah, and, and then they're bugging you constantly, too. So no is if you know it's a no, definitely share that it's it's part of the business and no one's going to be offended by that.
4: I really encourage folks that are looking for learning opportunities to seek out your state arts consortium, you know, all these services to the field, TYA, USA. Like there are so many that are doing great PD and it's really worth your time. You can learn about accessibility. You can learn about what other folks are doing, learning about community engagement. I think it's really worth you taking an hour out of your week every once in a while to attend a webinar or attend an affinity group. Um, That's where the real learning happens. And if you don't have a chance to travel to New York or go to Max um, or to WA coming up, those are great places to make connections and learn something new.
1: Well, friends, thanks for taking the time to chat with me and thanks for listening in on my interview with Tommy. I had a great time and I hope you all enjoyed that and learned something new yourselves. So thank you.
0: All right everyone, thanks for listening to the No Business Like podcast. Our producers and hosts are Brian Zelmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, danielle Van. Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. You can find and follow us everywhere at nobusinesslike.com, which has links to all of our socials. Stay in touch, my friends.
1: All right, well, my job is done here, except for this end part.